Well, as I said earlier, we have made our way to, in our journey through First Thessalonians, as Paul helps us to deal with uh, hope in hard times, we've made our way to chapter 3. So if you'd be so kind, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read from God's Word, where Paul writes to the Thessalonians in chapter 3 of his first letter. And we'll read the entire chapter, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 3. Here is what the word of the Lord declares. Therefore, you know, anytime you see that, you know something happened before that, right? We'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus, direct our way to you. And may the Lord make your increase, make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Amen. You may be seated. In his presence, from this third chapter of Thessalonians, I'd like to lift this theme before you today, the evidence of authentic love. The evidence of authentic love. A man and his friend were playing golf one day. And as they were playing, one of them were, was near the green and preparing to hit a chip shot up onto the green. But John, as he was drawing back to complete his shot, he looked up and noticed a funeral procession passing by on the street right next to the golf course. And he stopped mid-swing removed his golf hat, 
and did not proceed until the procession had passed all the way through, at which time he went back and approached his ball, preparing to complete his shot. His friend was amazed at his actions, said to him, I'm shocked and amazed and uh, astounded of how thoughtful it was for you to stop playing golf, the game that you love, and remove your hat and give honor because there was this funeral procession passing. How thoughtful that was. The man looked at him and said, well, we had been married for 35 years. That's the least I could do. <laughs> not, not, not. <laughs> that, that makes me laugh. I, know. <laughs> I need to say this just to be clear. This is not evidence <laughs> of authentic love. This is not, this action is not to be confused with evidence of authentic love. In fact, there is not, there's, there's a whole lot of unloveliness going on in this story. <laughs> I mean, we don't really know all the details of the story. Uh, uh, we don't get the full story, but just for the sake of illustration, uh, let's assume that this is his current wife. Because we don't know that the story doesn't tell us whether they've been divorced or whatever. But let's just assume that this is his. And if we assume that, there is not a lot of loveliness that's going on in this story. Uh, in fact, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of troubling things happening if this is his current wife. Number one, he's playing golf rather than being present at her funeral. Number two, he didn't even tell his buddy that his wife had died. I mean, there's a lot of things. I could go on. There's a lot of things that are unlovely. We would like to, if we're assuming that, we would also like to assume that this man was not a believer. I mean, all of us being believers, or at least most of us being believers, we like to assume that somebody, Brother Eugene, so cold-hearted, couldn't be a believer. But if you know like I do, you know that there are a lot of folks who claim to be Christians who are even more cold-hearted than this man. It's not only a problem of the world. It's also an issue in the church. As believers, we must always be mindful of and embrace the words 
of N.T. Wright that I shared with you two weeks ago. Remember those words? Here, here they are. Let me share them with you again. Wright says this, love is not our duty. It is our destiny. Love is the language, Wright says, they speak in the new creation and we get to learn it here. Not only should we be learning, learning it, we should be living it. Uh, pastor and author Albert Tate expresses this thought a different way in the title of his latest book. title of his latest book is this, How We Love Matters. Says the same thing. Uh, we ought to love, especially those of us that are called by the name of Christ, ought to love in an authentic way. We all love with all of our hearts. If for some reason, rights or Tate's words don't resonate, the writer of this letter, the Apostle Paul, is, of course, an expert on the subject of authentic love. He, he you'll recall, eloquently and excellently defines authentic love in places like 1 uh, Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8. Here is, here is how he defines it there. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's a pretty good definition of authentic love, if you ask me. And not only, though, does Paul eloquently define authentic love there, he accurately models it here in 1 Thessalonians, particularly in these first three chapters. As he repeatedly throughout chapters 1 through 3 expresses his deep affection for the Thessalonian believers. Not only does he express his deep affection for them, he commends them for their deep affection for him. Uh, uh, for instance, at the end of chapter 2, let's back up and look at that. The end of chapter 2 verses 19 and 20 is likely not on your screen, but you ought to have your Bibles anyway. I'm just saying, because you never know. Or your phone. There you go. Thank you, sister. You got it. You ought to have it somewhere. You might even have it in your heart. The Bible says, hide my word in your heart. Anyway, but wherever you have it, let's read. Because we get, we get an illustration of Paul's deep affection for the Thessalonians at the end of chapter 2. Here's what it says in 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? It's a rhetorical question. Uh, is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. He has deep affection. Paul's affection for them here at the end of chapter 2 reaches, rises, to its climax. He's expressed it all the way up to this point, but we see this crescendo here at the end of chapter 2. The only 
of the church to receive such warm words from Paul was the Philippian church. He has some similar words and thoughts and expressions for them. In Paul's mind, though, and in, uh, in Paul's mind and heart, the Thessalonians would be the greatest blessing he could possibly receive at the judgment seat of Christ for them to be there. They, they were everything that was worth anything to him. They were his hope, his joy, his crown, and his glory. He had poured himself out to them. And uh, uh, he, was, he was profoundly affectionate towards them. At the end of chapter 2, this was indeed a profound profession of affection. So then, as we arrive at chapter 3, Paul continues this very same train of thought that he begins even beyond chapter 2, but certainly throughout chapter 2 to the end of chapter 2, he then continues this train of thought in chapter 3. And in his continuation is revealed some of the evidences of authentic love. We find it in chapter 3. Uh, first thing we see that is an evidence of authentic love is this. Authentic, authentic love is not able to bear it. Authentic love is not able to bear it. Let me read one through five one more time so you can kind of uh, catch up and see what I might be talking about. Therefore, we says, therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. But when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand uh, that we were to suffer affliction just as it had come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Authentic love my brothers and sisters, is not able to bear it. Here, here, here it is. Fake, false, or superficial love does not lend itself to deep concern or heavy burden on, beha on the behalf uh, of the welfare of or the well-being of others. Fake, false, superficial love does not lend itself to being burdened by the issues of others. Concerns for them just roll off like water off of a duck's back. If I don't authentically love you, your issues don't bother me. If I can just break it down like that. I, I don't lose sleep over what's happening with you. Uh, if there's no authentic love, I don't toss and turn at night. I, none of that happens. I, I don't sweat and toil and, and, and cry tears and all of None of that happens if I don't authentically love you. But when there is authentic love, 
You are not able to shake things off without taking immediate action. Some of you that really love folks know what I'm talking about. Maybe it's, I'm not getting a whole lot of amens right. Maybe I need to, maybe, let me see. Is there anybody in the house that has somebody in your life that you authentically love? Yes. About 10 of y'all that said amen. The rest of y'all, I'm going to pray for it. Because if you, can, if you could relate to this, you would not help but be able to say something. If you've ever stayed up through the night, I'm, it, it, maybe it was a child, maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a parent, I don't know, maybe it was another brother or sister in Christ that you could not go to sleep because you were concerned. It didn't roll off your back like water. You weren't able to shake it off, Brother Kimmy. It bothered you to the point that something had to be done. Some action had to happen. Uh, uh, two weeks ago, my dad got a call concerning his sister, my aunt, and they, they might be watching this morning. Uh, she lives in Chicago, and she's almost 90, and she lives by herself. And she got a call, we got a call, rather, from one of her close friends that said, uh, uh, somebody needs to come check on her, because not, she's not going well. That was... I can't remember what day it was, but within two days, both he and I, because he asked me to go, we were on our way. That was on a Sunday, on our way to Chicago to see about her because for him, he could not just sit idly by when there was something going on with her. He had to move heaven and earth and, and clear the agenda and move things out of the way and fix it to where he could get there as quickly as possible because in his heart there was authentic love and he just wasn't going to be able to go to sleep until he got there to see about her. In these first five verses, Paul twice uses a phrase that is a good indicator of the sincerity of his affection for the Thessalonian brothers and sisters. He says this twice, when we or I could not bear it no longer, we couldn't bear it no longer. He uses that phrase twice, followed both times by action. We sent or I sent. There's some action that comes after the phrase that indicates the sincerity of his affection and love for the Thessalonians. It says, I could not bear it any longer. I could not bear it any longer. So I took some action. Question is this, what is it? What is it? What is the it that he could no longer bear? For them, it was concern about the firmness of their faith in the face of temptation by the tempter. It bothered Paul. He, he couldn't rest thinking about the church that he had planted and how are they doing in the face of temptation and persecution and adversity? How are they holding? Is their faith holding firm? That was the it 
based on based on chapter 2 verse 18 Paul was somehow hindered by Satan from going to them himself we don't really know what that means <laughs> there are many that have tried to figure out what it meant that he was hindered by Satan I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. All I know is Paul said that for some reason he couldn't get back to them. Something hindered him going himself, but his love was such that he could not forbear sending Timothy to help them. He had to do something. So Sandra, it was bothering him and he needed to do, take some action. And so since he was prevented he sends Timothy. Paul had converted them to the faith, and now his desire was that they might be two things, established and exhorted in their faith. Uh, that they might be established in the choice they made of the Christian faith and exhorted in the profession and the practice of it, because they were trying to dissuade. The enemy trying to dissuade all of that. Uh, the profession of their faith, the practice of their faith. And so Paul is concerned. And so he sends Timothy to exhort and to establish, to make sure that they are on a firm foundation in their faith. His concern was that they would not be moved by afflictions and persecutions. Uh, uh, you need to know that one of the things that the enemy seeks to do is to move you. He, he wants to move you through persecution, through affliction, through trial, through temptation, through tribulation, through whatever he seeks that you would be moved. You've got to be like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. And you have to say boldly that I, somebody here, I thought I would have some, I shall not be moved. Like a tree that's planted by the water that brings forth its fruit in due season, my roots run deep and I'm planted in Jesus. Paul says it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 23, he says this, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and, if, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. He says, stable, steadfast, not shifting, from the hope of the gospel, not moving from the hope of the gospel. And he sends Timothy so that the Thessalonians would be established, rooted, grounded, confident, so that nothing that the enemy tries. Is there anybody here who knows the enemy has schemes and tricks? He knows what buttons to push in your life. He knows exactly what gets you going. 
I'm just saying, he, he, he knows all about it. And we have to proclaim and profess that I'm standing on Jesus. I'm standing firmly because my roots run deep. I, I, my hope is in Jesus and nothing is going to move me. But Paul's concern for them that caused him distress was that there was a possibility, at least in his mind, that they could be shifting, going with the flow, being blown to and fro with every wind of doctrine, not remaining established in the faith. For them, it was the threat of temptation and persecution. For you and I, it can be the same or it could be any number of things. I, it. What's your it? What's your it that folks ought to be supporting you in? We have various things. Uh, a lot of it is, is, is grounded uh, in persecution and affliction and attacks from the enemy. Uh, there are all kinds of things that happen that, that, that has its root in that, but it manifests itself in other ways. I mean health issues. Is that it for you? What about your children? What about uh, your job situation? What about uh, 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 finances? What about whatever it is? What is the it for them? It was the enemy trying to move them. What is it for us? No matter what it is for you, because we all have, have it. Varying forms and shapes and all of that. But all of us have it. Whatever it is for you, it's encouraging to know that there are those who love so deeply that they are not able to bear it without taking action on your behalf. Isn't it encouraging to know that? Uh, it's encouraging for me to know that some of y'all are praying for me. See, I told you it was some of y'all. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Some of y'all ain't praying. I knew it. I did, I did that as a test. Now I know exactly. And I marked them too. I marked all the amen. Don't try to clean it up now. <laughs> try to come back and say amen. Uh, it's encouraging. It ought to be encouraging to you to know that there are people who are praying for you that who love you so deeply that they are not able to sleep at night without taking action on your behalf. Hopefully, there are those like this for us on earth. But certainly, we know that there are those even in heaven who are bearing us right now on their hearts and watching intently how we are faring on this journey. The writer of Hebrews, you know what he says in 12, 1 and 2, he says it this way, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, 
endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so there is right now a great cloud of witnesses. Not only the ones in Hebrews 11, because this is who the writer of Hebrews is referring to, the great cloud in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. But I suggest and submit to you that it's not only them. Jesus right now is interceding on your behalf. He is at the right hand of the Father, and every time something attempts to overtake you or move you, he stands up on my behalf. And he stands up on your behalf. And not only does he stand up, he gets in the midst of it. But not only is Jesus and the hall, the people from the Hall of Faith and 11, uh, Big Mom is there. Y'all don't know Big Mama, but I do. Maybe you have a Big Mama. I don't know. Big Daddy is there. They all are there. Uncle, Auntie, Mama, Daddy, they're there right now. Uh, it's a great clap. They're watching right now. And they are bearing you and me right now on their hearts. Isn't that encouraging? I, I, I tell you how encouraging it is. Sometimes I feel it. Sometimes. I ain't weird or nothing like that. But Bob, sometimes I hear mama talking to me. I can hear a voice just as clear. Sometimes I ain't weird, but sometimes I can hear Big Mama walking through the house. Because at Big Mama's house, she had a wood float. And when she was coming out the back, you could always hear her coming to the, through the kitchen. And every now and then, we don't have those kind of wood floors, but every now and then, when I'm laying there by myself, I can close my eyes. And I hear Big Mama making her way to the living room. We've got a cloud of witnesses who are bearing us on their hearts right now, and they are concerned in heaven. And hopefully we've got some here on earth who are bearing us on their hearts. And when they are concerned their authentic love for us won't allow them to bear it. So we see that authentic love is not able to bear it. Next, we see this in the text. Authentic, authentic love is mutually dependent. It's mutually dependent. It's in verses 6 through 10. Uh, mutually dependent, mutually beneficial, interdependent, symbiotic, transparent. Vulnerable involves more than one person, not a one-way street. I'm talking about authentic love is all of those things. It is interdependent. It is mutually dependent and mutual. You know, when I say mutually, you know that means that there's got to be more than one person involved. You can't mutually by yourself. Unless you crazy or you weird. <laughs> I'm just saying. 
You, you, you can't mutually by yourself. It, it, it's, it's not a one-way street. To be mutually dependent means that I need you and you need me. It's a symbiotic thing. We, we help each other. We, we, we care about each other. Uh, when the pandemic hit in 2020, it changed a lot of things. All of us know that. Changed a lot. One unfortunate consequence was that it gave people a reason to check out of in-person church. It gave a lot of people a reason to check out of in-person church. And here's the sad thing. Many of them have not checked back in. That's sad. Uh, many of them haven't checked back in. Uh, this is an unfortunate thing for many reason, reasons, namely the reason I already shared with you, we need each other. We need each other. Faith needs community. Jeff should have said amen right there. Faith needs community. I need you and you need me. On our own, our faith is lacking. If we believe by ourselves, we will not believe for long. Any unchurched, uninvolved Christian is living outside of the will of God. So I don't want to hear, I, like I say, I've had, I've had discussions. Uh, I've had uh, discussions with those who try to convince me that this model is what works for them. It works for them that they can watch online and at work. They can watch church anywhere in the world, and it's, it, it's good for them. Well, I'll debate anybody on that. That is not the ideal model. Uh, it's unfortunate that people have gone to that. We see it in our text. It's in our text. Verse 6, Timothy returns in verse 6. With the glowing report, let me read verse 6 for you real quickly. It says this, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. Timothy returns with the glowing report. What a relief it must have been for Paul who had been sleepless, who had been uh, in misery, who had been uh, worrying about them. This must have been a great relief for him to hear this good news about his beloved friends in Thessalonica. Timothy reports on, their, on, on some things about them. He reports on their faith. He reports on their love. He reports on their pleasant memories and their longing to see Paul. Then in verse 7, Paul reveals I told you love is, uh, authentic love is one of the things it is, is it's vulnerable. Uh, he, he, he reveals an area of vulnerability in verse 7. Verse 7 says this, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. He reveals in verse 7, he's undergoing struggles while in Corinth. Uh, he, he's struggling He's got some, yeah, he is. He's struggling. He's got some afflictions going on, some things that are, he's being attacked. A, a lot of things are weighing on him. And he's vulnerable enough to share 
that he has this area of vulnerability. Are, are, are you that open to let folks know that, look, I, you know, I, I got issues. I got things I struggle with, too. The enemy attacks me just like he attacks you. I, I, I'm the pastor, but I also struggle. Are you opening up vulnerable? Does your authentic love uh, say that you will be willing to do that with people that you feel like love you? Listen, I need you to pray for me because I'm struggling with something. I don't be sending emails. I ain't, don't be, I ain't trying to, I, ain't, I don't want to hear rumors. It ain't nothing like that. I'm just, I'm just making an illustration. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't be leaving here talking, well, you know the pastor said. <laughs> no, I'm trying to teach the lesson. But in actuality, all of us have issues and we've got to be vulnerable enough to say to folks who we feel like love us that I am in need of your love. I need your love. He's undergoing struggles, Paul is, in Corinth. But here's the thing, word from these dear believers that he gets heartens him. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says this, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Mm, isn't that something? He said this report has given him strength. This report give, gives him uh, uh, the, the desire to keep pushing. Paul suggests that their faith that's been reported to him by Timothy has given him life. Their faith, the faith report that he's gotten about them has given him life. Uh, this, if you think about it, is staggering. Paul, the greatest missionary that there has ever been, says to the Thessalonians, how you stand will determine how we live. In other words, he says, I can't make it without you. I can't make it without you. Their faith has served to encourage him as opposed to discourage him. Uh, uh, the, the commentator Wanamaker notes that Paul derives a sense of strength from the endurance of his converts that enables him to continue his missionary work in the face of opposition and oppression. He, he, he gets endurance from them. Now, 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 what should that say to us? Remember how I started this section? I talked about the pandemic and how people have checked out and don't want to check back in and feel like they can be on an island and all of that and be isolated and all of that stuff and still be okay uh, and you be okay because they're out. And all, that, so all that does not work. We see it in Paul's expressions in 6, 7, and 8. It speaks to why it's so important for us to come together often because my faith is strengthened when I see yours. Okay, let me rewind that because you need to make sure that you leave here understanding that. Uh, my faith is strengthened when I see and hear about when I see you tell me that you beat cancer uh -huh. and you running a marathon. I know she's here somewhere. Uh -huh. It strengthens my faith yeah. 
When I hear about how you overcame a bad report from the doctor, it strengthens my faith. When I hear about the testimony of how things are going haywire in your life, but you're still standing, you're still smiling, you're still praising, you're still praying your way through, it strengthens my faith. And when you hear this crazy dude stand up here and tell you about what God has brought me through, it ought to strengthen your faith too. So we can't afford to not have each other. We need each other. So authentic love is not able to bear it. Authentic love is mutually dependent. Lastly, authentic love prays fervently. Authentic love, if it's authentic, it prays fervently. It actually picks up in verse 10. Here's what it says in verse 10, then we'll get to 11 through 13. Verse 10 says this, as we pray most earnestly, that phrase also is uh, defined or interpreted fervently. As we pray most earnestly, night and day, we may see your, uh, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Fervent prayer is a part of authentic love. If I really love you, I ought to be praying night and day. I mean, there, there's some of y'all that I know and love, and I don't know what's going on, and I just cover it in a blanket sometimes. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. But if you tell me, you ask me, I'm just telling you, I'm warning you right now. If you tell me your business, if you tell me what's going on, if you ask me to pray, uh, I'm going to pray specifically for you. Matter of fact, if you send me a text, if I'm not driving, I'm closing my eyes and I'm praying right then. I just need to warn you all about that. I'm praying right then for you. I'm praying fervently because I feel honored that you uh, reached out to me and asked for prayer. And because of that, I want to honor your request with immediate prayer because if I put it off too long, life is going to happen. The phone's going to ring or a bill's going to come in the mailbox or something's going to happen and I'm going to totally forget. So I'm praying right now. Stories told of a servant girl who became a member of a church. She was asked what Christian work she did. She said that she had, didn't have the opportunity to do much because of her duties. Her duties were so constant that she didn't have a chance to do much. But she said, she said this, when I go to bed, I take the morning newspaper to my bed with me and read the notices from the newspaper of births that have happened. And when I read the notices of births that have, births that have happened, I pray for all the little babies. And I read the notices of marriage, and I pray that those who have been married may be happy. And I read the announcements of death, and I pray that the souring, sorrowing may be comforted. No man can ever tell what tides of grace flowed from her attic bedroom as she prayed fervently for others. We can serve, if we can serve people no other way. We, like Paul, when we, like him, are, are, are unwillingly separated from them. Here's what we can do. We can pray for them. 
we can pray for them. And so he does that beginning in verse 10. He says this in verse 10. Again, he says uh, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. He prays night and day that they may be able, he may be able to go there, send somebody there, him go himself to be able to supply because everything they needed in the faith they didn't have yet. They were still a work in progress. Somebody here ought to be able to relate to that. All of us are a work in progress. None of us have arrived and there's still some things that need to be added to our faith to make us complete and whole lacking nothing there's still some trials that we've got to go through I mean I'm just saying that's what James I'm not making it up James says this uh, 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 be careful for nothing but in all things by prayer I'm sorry uh, Paul says this be careful for nothing but in all things by prayer uh, supplication with thanksgiving make your request be made known to God and the peace of God that passes all understanding shall guard your hearts and your mind through Christ Jesus But James says this, brothers, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience and let patience have its perfect work for you with you, that you can be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So none of us have arrived yet. You got some still some work to be done. And so Paul prays that they could go there and give them what they were lacking. Then in 11, he prayed that they would have a prosperous journey on the way, that nothing would would be able to keep them from going, that nothing would get in the way that would stop them. And then verse 12 is the key verse, and I'm almost done. We got to read verse 12, though. It brings it all together and puts a bow on it and ties it all up really neatly. It says this, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you. That's the prayer right there. Can I leave you all with that prayer? Can I leave you with verse 12? That the Lord would cause your love for others to abound. That, that, that's the prayer, right? Not just for others in the faith, but for everybody. That's what Paul said. Not for just the church members, but pray that your love would abound for everybody. And if that happens, when that happens, here are the results of such abounding love. Established, blameless, holy hearts that expectantly look forward to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the outworking of authentic love. That's the outworking uh, of, 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 of abounding love is that that happens. I haven't, I haven't, talked to this guy in a while, but I thought I'd share something with you from one of my favorite friends to close our time together. Oh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon has something to say on this subject. Here's what he says. Love and self-denial. For the object loved go hand in hand. You ought to stop right there. Love and self-denial for the object love go hand in hand. If I profess to love a certain person, and yet will neither give my silver nor my gold to relieve his wants, nor in any way deny myself comfort or ease for his sake. Such love is contemptible. It wears the name, but lacks the reality of love. True love, authentic love, 
must be measured by the degree to which the person loving will be willing to subject himself, watch this, to crosses and losses, to suffering and denials. After all, the value of a thing in the market is what a man will give for it. And you must estimate the value of a man's love by that which he is willing to give up for it. For God has highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father because he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Because his love for us was just that great. Lord, we thank you. You have shown us what authentic love ought to look like. Help us, Lord, to apply and to live out your principles in our daily lives. Those principles that Jesus taught us, those principles that Paul writes about and modeled for us. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.